Howdy, neighbor. Did you just move in? Yeah, last night. Harold Gorton. Hi, Roger. Roger. Yeah. Hey, it's great to have a new neighbor. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Biggest bitch under the sun. Just a senile old hag, really. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her, you know what I mean? She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Just a, a saint, really. And uh, such a beautiful woman for her age. Mm-hmm. Would you like some dinner? Hello, and welcome to another episode of That's the Random, a Random Movie Podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. This episode's movie from 1986, or possibly 85, depending on what you look at. But either way, House. Definitely one of those VHX boxes, X, VHS, excuse me, boxes that I stared at as a child because what is this zombie hand ringing a doorbell this is going to be amazing and then you finally watch it as a grown-up and eh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um joining me to talk about this strange movie Lindsay is back hello hey how's it going i'm all right so house <laughs> what do you think <laughs> so i wasn't sure like so when we talked about it initially, I wasn't sure if it was the first thing I thought of was House the Medical Doctor, right? Because sure. that is the first thing I thought of. And then I thought of House Party. <laughs> and then you sent me like the cover because I don't recall ever seeing it. And then I was like, oh, I don't remember this. So it was interesting. I don't I think that's the Minnesota nice way of putting it because <laughs> I don't really know another word. Yeah. Uh, House is directed by Steve Miner, who's done a bunch of stuff. He did Halloween H2O, Lake Placid, Friday 13th 2 and 3, and the unfortunate film Soul Man, where C. Thomas Howell is in blackface for the whole movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he did that. <laughs> and then he's just done a bunch of like TV since. Like, he, the last movie he made was like 1998 or something. Like, he's just been doing TV for quite a while. Or no, I guess he did... He did the Day of the Dead remake that actually last week's guest, Jeffrey Reddick, wrote. And that must have gone so badly for him that he just <laughs> stopped making movies because he just does TV now. Uh, and it's written, not the screenplay, but the story credited to Fred Decker, who wrote and directed Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, you know, Wolfman's Got Nards, and Robocop 3. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of the pedigree of this. Well, the movie opens with kind of a cool tracking shot that kind of goes around from the back of the house down the side to the front. So we're getting kind of the lay of the land to where there's a grocery boy on a moped who's making his deliveries to the titular house. Uh, he comes in to drop him off. He's calling for Mrs. Hooper. She's not answering. And at first he's like, I'm just going to leave. I'll just leave him here. I don't want to intrude. <laughs> I'll collect next week or whatever. But, um, but, here's the, but he, he calls himself the grocery boy, right? Right. And I just I have to point out that if Mrs. Hooper is getting regular deliveries of groceries, don't you think she would know her grocery boy's name? And the groceries were perfectly placed in that paper bag. <laughs> And it was the funniest thing to me just because I know like how those things are done behind the scene, but I go grocery shopping and they're not going to fit in the bag that way. I digress. Anyways. As far as her not, it's very possible she doesn't know his name just because it's pretty established by everyone who knows her that she's kind of a bitch. (laughs) Like she's kind of a crazy old kook so it's very possible that she's never even laid eyes on this person that's true that's true but he decides i don't know he feels like something's up so he goes exploring and looking for miss hooper he sees she's got a lot of well she's a painter and she will learn Mm -hmm. and she's got a lot of creepy kind of art that she's done hanging in the stairway that he sees on his way up and is kind of weirded out by but he Finds Mrs. Hoover hanging out, but literally, because <laughs> she has hung herself and she's been dead for a bit. So he freaks yeah. out, runs out of the house. We then cut to her funeral where we meet our main character, Roger Cobb, 
played by William Catt, who most people know from The Greatest American Hero TV show in the 80s, and not much else. <laughs> and this, I guess. He is a famous author of sorts. He has, um, he's doing a book signing. The book story's got a bunch of very excitable fans looking to yeah. get his autograph, including one lady who is, she's played by the lady who played Frau Provisina in the Austin Powers movies, but like way younger. Um, Mindy Sterling. Yes. Yes. But she is, a, and also we learn that his wife, and maybe people in general don't know that they're divorced at this point. And maybe it's like kind of a secret or something, but I don't know. But his, his ex-wife, Sandy, is a sort of famous actress. Cause she's this... on a, it seems like she's on a soap opera. She's on a daytime soap opera. It she's... seems like, which wouldn't make it that famous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you're, I mean, can you, na- other than Susan Lucci, maybe, can you name a soap, a- a soap actress? Off the top of your head? Um, all I can think of is Marlena and Kristen from Days of Our Lives, but that was a really bad summer. I had back surgery. <laughs> that was in 1996, <laughs> and that was about it. <laughs> so, no, so, and I can't even give their names. So, no. Nope. Kelly Ripa. She was on a, on a date. Oh, that's true. Yep. There was that weird period where James Franco went and went on soap operas for no reason. Oh yeah, wasn't Which was that? Weird. He's a weird Chris guy. Chris Pratt was on a soap opera too, I think. That that could be, but it was probably before he was famous, right? It was. Yeah, yeah. James Franco went well after. Like this was just five or six Wait, years ago. Yeah. After he was already famous, he's like, I'm just gonna go do One Life to Live for two months. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, he's a weird dude. <laughs> we learned from kind of flashbacks. There's a bunch of flashbacks in the movie, but we learned that. Sandy and Roger uh, had a son named Jimmy, or presumably, hopefully, have a son named Jimmy, but he disappeared. They were, he was hanging out in the backyard trimming the bushes, and Jimmy was sitting there playing with his trucks, and then he looks back and he's gone. He runs to the front of the house, and a car is speeding away. So the Mm -hmm. assumption is that he's been kidnapped, but when Roger goes back to the backyard where the swimming pool is, he sees Jimmy sort of flailing and drowning in the pool, jumps in to save him, but the kid isn't in there. So he knows right. he saw it, but nobody else saw it. Nobody kind of believes it. Roger and Sandy have, I don't know, an interesting relationship because they're still on pretty good terms. It feels like the only reason they're divorced is because their son disappeared. Right. You know, like they seem very amicable. They kind of even still like each other. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, trauma and tragedy has split them apart. Yeah, and I it, sometimes I feel like it is, you know, unre- it does take its toll on relationships, and it can be too much for them to bear. But I, I definitely, you know, when Sandy was at the award show before they had the flashback, and Roger went to the house, you know, when he was still in, I want to say LA, but I don't know if that's accurate because I can't place this set. Like, there's no, I can't set, yeah. right? There's no setting. There's just the house. You know, she's the one who initiated the phone call. And he tried to make it seem like he was busy and was having a poker game and that kind of thing. But she was, you know, trying to initiate and just keep their relationship going because I think she is concerned about his his health and his mental state and that kind of thing. And, and she should be because, well, that's a big thing about this movie is you don't know, at least for most of it, if ever, how much of what's going on in this movie is just... A guy with PTSD, not only from being in Vietnam, right. but from what now his son disappearing. How much right. is just him seeing shit, and how much right. is this house actually being haunted? We may never know. Right. But right. yeah, it's real sad. She called like she's at an awards show where she's receiving an award. She takes time out from that to call her ex-husband to check in on him, and he's putting on this fake like he's turning on music and be like, "Hey, quiet down, guys. The lady's on the phone." Like. And he had just thrown a microwave dinner into a microwave. Yeah, it's a sad, sad existence that he has. Read his book, and it's just, it's, it's incredibly sad. But the fact that he has to put on this front of like, mm-hmm. oh no, I'm fine, everything's cool, my buddies are over, I don't miss you at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, it's fine, it's fine. He's working on his next book that his sort of publisher or whoever is up his ass about. Right, which has he had that advanced 
he's usually like a I guess a horror writer or a crime writer or something based on his the book he was signing but now he is writing this is a terrible title one man's story a personal account of the Vietnam War yes one man's story you have that you have to come up with something better than that yes. one man's story is such a generic it <laughs> could be applied to yes. any experienced title yes but he's working on that he's having kind of writer's block with it and stuff so he decides to get away from it all he's gonna leave it probably is la because if they live together and she's an actress in la mm-hmm. he'd probably live there as well off to wherever his aunt's house is he meets the realtor so he had that dream something about the house so he'd had that dream where his aunt had come back to him saying that the house is the house had gotten her and it's going to get him too so that night he had woken up and packed his vehicle because he'd opened up a suitcase and then he packed and then he drove all night long to the house yeah he has a dream where he's in the house and he catches her i guess it's dream logic but catches her preparing to hang herself and does nothing to stop it <laughs> until she's already until it's too late but yeah she says like like i fought it for a long time but the house tricked me it got me and it's gonna yeah it's gonna trick you too which sounds to me like a bad omen sounds like your dead aunt has come to you in a dream and told you do not go to that house mm-hmm. so the first thing he does is go to the house, go to the house. Yep. <laughs> it's craven realty which is handling this house which is one has to imagine a, a nod to west craven and um the realtor guy meets him there and is kind of trying to show him around the place but he's like yeah i know i know where i'm at because i grew up here like my, when my mom died I was basically raised by my aunt Elizabeth. So I grew up here. My son was kidnapped from here, I guess, when they were visiting. Right. So he knows his way around. He doesn't need this guy. But he takes him out to the garage. And he picks up, because Aunt Elizabeth's deceased husband, so Roger's uncle, um, was some kind of big game fisherman guy who held a world record for a while for swordfish. Yep. There's a gigantic swordfish hanging on the wall, and um, out in the garage, the realtor picks up this spear gun and is just waving around, like dicking around with it, and shoots a spear and misses Roger's head by an inch. And neither yep. of them care nearly enough. Nope. <laughs> the realtor should be freaking out that he almost killed someone. Roger yep. should be freaking out that he was almost killed and beating the shit out of yep. this guy. <laughs> like, yep. They're both real mellow about it like ah sorry it happens and the realtor said what did he say he's like oh sorry didn't know <laughs> it slipped Oof. but roger decides he's going to not sell the house after all he wants to keep it i guess coming back here and the memories are flooding back and he actually likes this place or maybe he's invested in the mystery who knows but he decides he's going to keep it right and before we move on to his his wonderful next door neighbor um who's amazing by the way it's little things that really drive me crazy when I'm watching a film, um, like continuity errors. And I think we've discussed mm-hmm. this before, but my favorite thing is the realtor who I think is, you know, and I, I don't know what else the realtor has been in, but you can tell he's really trying to keep up with Roger in terms of his acting chops, right? Because William has been in other things, um, but the realtor is just not there. And he is, um, he's just, he's laying it on thick, but, um, when he puts the paperwork, so the realtor, Roger says, you know, I'm, I've decided to keep the house and the realtor puts the papers in the bag on the front table in the entryway. And then the next, you know, flashes to Roger and then it flashes back to the realtor and the bag is gone. And then he puts keys on the table. Like there was nothing there. And it just, it really stuck out in my mind. Like, how did how did they not catch that? And I know that it was a 1985 film, but you would think for the director that they had and, you know, this, what, $3 million budget that they would have caught that small continuity error of not having the papers and the keys and that kind of thing. It was just a little thing that drove me a little bit crazy, like the house. Well, and that comes down to editing. You'll even see that in movies now when they should definitely know better. So, Oh, no, and I know. totally get that. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so big. Like, how did you not miss that bag? But 
digress. So there was, oh, well, we forgot one of the flashbacks when right after the kid is, Jimmy is gone missing and the police show up and they're questioning everybody. The aunt comes, the aunt has the creepiest smile I've ever seen. Like just naturally, no special effects needed. But she comes into the room and is telling the cops, like trying to explain to the cops, like, no, the house did it. The house took the boy. And they're like, okay, lady. And Sandy's not having it. She screams at her like, oh my God, will you shut up, old woman? And runs out (laughs) in a huff. Like, so. um, Everyone is convinced that Aunt Elizabeth is crazy. Yes. Roger spends his first night in the house. There's lots of little like, oh, did I hear a noise? Oh, no, nothing. Like a lot of a lot of real estate and time is kind of wasted in this movie of him just walking around, not finding things for quite a while. But so he spends his first night there pretty uneventfully. The next day, he's taking the garbage out, wearing the deepest V-neck sweater oh, it's in so history. Great. It's amazing. I don't even know how he kept it on, but it was great. Like no undershirt underneath, so it's just, it's like man cleavage. It's the deepest V. Yep, and I think it matched his pants perfectly in terms of like that brown golden tone. And it was a very like 80s look. It was very perfect. For sure. Very perfect. Yep. Like a cable knit sweater. It was awesome. And he sees he has a hot jogging neighbor who lives across the street who catches his eye and then we also meet his other neighbor Harold Gorton who's played by George Went from Cheers who has once he realizes well it start to start with he's like oh you're buying this house the, the old lady who lived here before was like a crazy old bitch and nobody liked her and like she was you know <laughs> and he's like well that was my aunt He's like, oh, a saint, really, like trying to backpedal oh, it. Yeah, yeah, she was great. It, he, that was probably one of the better, better scenes in the movie, to be quite honest. Yeah, there's a lot of attempt because this isn't a straight up horror movie. It's a horror comedy. Most of the comedy doesn't work for me. <laughs> Some of George yeah. Wentz stuff is his little throwaway lines are, are all right though. And he recognized. He finally realized, like, oh shit, you're Roger Cobb. I just have, can I get your autograph? I just happen to have, I've been reading your book. And from his back pocket, he pulls a pile of loose pages as if the book he was reading has fallen apart. The cover is gone and he's just carrying around a very thick stack of loose book pages, paperback pages. That's pretty goofy. Yep. And um, he asked Roger, for, Roger said, well, do you have a pen? George is like, no, I don't have it. Not George. Harold, sorry. I kept. I was like, oh, George went. But he didn't have a pen. And then Harold said something. Nope. Roger said he was there for solitude. So they had that like back and forth about making sure that he had solitude. Solitude. Yeah, he's trying to be nice and subtle and not be like, hey, man, I'm here to be myself. And I, I'm not yeah. here to make friends, so don't talk to me. <laughs> right. But he's like, I'm here. I, I'm... I that was, no, I just, I thought that was really like, he wasn't being a jerk, you know? And I thought that was really, you know, if we're taking this, like, archetypical archetypal character, you know, if, if a Stephen King type, right? Because if we're going to take that as, like, a horror film or a horror author. Sure. Let's just pick him because he's famous, right? Um, or Dean Koontz. Oh, just kidding. We're going to pick, you know, someone like that. He's not being a jerk to his neighbor. He's just being like, a, hey, I'm just here to write kind of, you know, don't talk to me. Like, hey, I'm just here for solitude. Yes, you called my aunt a crazy bitch, but, you know, I just need some solitude. And I was married to Susan Lucci, but I need some solitude, you know? Like, I'm just going to go walk up to my house and have deep v-neck. But he wasn't being a dick about it, which I thought was kind of nice. And it could have easily turned into a not nice way, so. Yeah, they, they want you to stay on this guy's side, which is hard to do later on if we get to it. Yeah. But now we get a Vietnam flashback, and there's a couple of them over the course of it. But here we meet his sort of buddy in the war, Big Ben, who's played by Richard Mull, who played Bull on Night Court. Yes. So this is a very sitcom-y cast we got going on here. The Vietnam stuff is... I mean, it winds up being very important, but it also, as you're watching it, you're like, why am I, why am I watching so much of this Vietnam stuff? Get back to the house. Right, like, all of these don't seem to, you know, the movie's called House, and the cover's got that 
it, it, right? Like if it thing, sorry, not it, if thing was zombified, pushing the doorbell. So like, that's what you're thinking of. And literally nothing has happened with that, right? You're 45 minutes into the movie and nothing has happened about that part yet. And all you're thinking of is Norm and Night Court. Like that's all you got is 80 sitcom characters. Anyways. Well, stuff's about to start happening because he's sort of, I guess, probably second night in the house. Again, he's just kind of wandering around because he's, I don't know, unnerved or he's hearing things. And he goes and opens the closet and there is a closet monster inside, which is a, oh. it's a bad puppet, but it's a good design. Like it's a cool yeah. looking thing. It just doesn't, as far as the puppeteering, it doesn't like move very well or whatever. It's kind of, you know, but it's a cool looking monster that comes out of this closet and kind of attacks him. Yeah, and he gets the gets the closet shut again, and is like, "Well, what the fuck was that?" He's like, "What the hell happened?" He orders up, because the next day we see a truck pull up and unload. He has ordered, presumably thousands of dollars at the time worth of recording equipment. So he has cameras and VCRs, and like five of them pointed at this closet, preparing to catch, I guess, evidence of this closet monster. And here's, for me, and probably for a lot of people, where the movie starts becoming too silly <laughs> because he has put on his old combat gear from Vietnam which I, he brought with him for who knows what reason and he has like a full on like freak out where he like is combat rolling down the stairs and like goes flying out the front door in broad daylight and, like throws his hands in the air and of course the neighbor sees him like hey man how you doing <laughs> like what are you doing right now I'm writing bro like I'm writing. Yeah. I mean, research phase. I don't know. Research. Yeah. I mean, and from a tactical perspective, that makes sense, right? So he's practicing, right? He's doing drills. And so he's got that military mindset. He's, he's doing, you know, because it's broad daylight outside. So he's like, okay, I'm going to pull the door handle open. And, you know, this is working and the lights. And he's making sure the Polaroid that you need a hand to turn on. That was weird, too. So he's like, I'm turning the lights on and I'm going to take the Polaroid and then I'm going to pull the thing and I'm going to do this and, you know, roll out. And he's all excited. Yes, like, we are the champions. But then George and the dog, Harold and the dog were out there. Yeah. But it feels like a little kid playing dress up. I don't know. He's just, yeah. he's very, I don't know. It's pretty goofy. A lot of the stuff in this and the creature designs in this, and this is interesting to me, is very campy and i have a tenuous relationship with how much camp i can deal with in, in horror movies but watching it i thought oh jesus this is ripping off evil dead 2 left and right uh -huh. but here's what's interesting this came out between evil dead 1 and 2 i mean evil dead 1 is like a straight horror movie and then evil dead 2 is like this campy weird remake of evil dead 1 right this came out before evil dead 2 so if anything, Evil Dead 2 ripped this movie off, which is oh. maybe I don't, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I thought for sure that this was like ripping off Evil Dead 2, but it came out sure. first right? by a couple years. I was like, oh, wow. So this is actually kind of original. And I will say the, the main reason I feel to watch this movie is it is not predictable. Things happen in this movie that no way did you see coming. No, absolutely And not. I like that. Yep. There's so many, like, threads out there that I really didn't know how they were all going to come together at the end. It was, a, it was an interesting tie-in. I don't know if all the threads do come together, but there's definitely things that happen that out of the blue. Because, like, you're not expecting this closet monster to come out. No. And it did. No. And there's lots of stuff like that. So, Roger is, that night, he's waiting for midnight. For some reason, he's decided. I don't know. Maybe the first time the closet monster came out, it was the strike of mid, stroke of midnight. I don't know. But yeah. he's yeah. He's got a rope on the door, and he's gonna stand back behind the cameras and pull it open. And Harold, his neighbor, who has just waltzed into his home <laughs> with Chinese food and beer, because he saw him have his little army playtime in the front yard, and I think he yep. has decided my neighbor needs company. I know he said he wants solitude, but He's not doing well. No, <laughs> he needs a buddy. Kind of yeah. So he has just 
And the front door of this house has six locks on it. Yes, I also noticed that. Like there's a deadbolt and a sliding thing. There's like and then there's another the yeah. chain. There's which apparently he has not locked any any of them. He's more concerned with what's going on inside the house than outside. So Harold has just let himself in and walks into the room as he's preparing to open this closet door and sees the setup that's going on and is like, wow, it's a good thing I came over. <laughs> you, you're losing it, buddy. So he takes a break. They go down, they're eating the Chinese food. They're having a conversation. That's basically boils down to like, Roger is like, you know, my grandma or my aunt. I mean, I always think of her as a grandma, but my aunt yeah. thought that this house was haunted. And I'm starting to think it is too. And Harold is like, okay, but your aunt was Looney Tunes? <laughs> she was right. a crazy woman. So I don't know how much stock I would put in it. And Roger asks him, like, well, do you think that I'm Looney Tunes too then? And Harold kind of plays it off like, I don't know, man. I, like, I saw ghosts when I was a little kid too. Maybe you're right. Who knows? Right. I'll help you out. Like he's trying to be, <laughs> he's trying to help him and be a good neighbor too. There's an odd pleasantness to a movie that gets this crazy and you know there's, there's i don't know everybody's kind of pleasant to each other right which was not expected but on his way out because he's now very worried about roger harold steals roger's little people don't have this anymore so younger listeners <laughs> before you could just put everyone's phone number into your phone and have it and not have to ever remember a phone number we used to have little phone books that you would write everybody's phone number in like your little black book sort of but this is like a brown book you know which harold grabs on his way out the door and goes home and just out of just calls sandy unsolicited yep. <laughs> like, so this guy's pretty i know he's trying to help but he's also pretty intrusive he just walked into this man's house yep. he's calling his ex-wife who's yep. a famous person like yep but he calls her and he's like hey i'm roger's new neighbor and I'm worried about him and you should come and like, like you should come and deal with it. You should come and talk to him and make sure he's cool. Cause I don't think he's cool. <laughs> no, he was definitely playing dress up earlier today and he thinks the house is haunted and I can't, I don't know what to do with him anymore. So if you could come, that would be awesome. Thanks. Also big fan. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're amazing. Love you. So here's where the evil dead stuff really starts kicking in because that giant swordfish on the wall comes to life. Is making crazy noises, swinging its head around, trying to come off the wall and attack Roger. So Roger trying to, well, he first he tries beating it with like a trophy or something to no avail. But it also, if you yeah. stay away from it, it can't get you. Like I understand it's freaky that this thing is alive, but you're engaging with it now. <laughs> Just, I don't know. But he does go to get a long range weapon. He goes out to the garage and gets. There's a shotgun out there and ammunition. So he gets that, loads it up, comes in, shoots the shit out of this swordfish and I guess kills it. I mean, it makes like a dying noise, which is, it's right. all, it's all pretty silly and not at all scary, which is no. kind of what they were going for, but it's very evil dead too, with the deer head on the wall, kind of doing the same, like laughing and stuff. Yep. So he's coming down the stairs and Sandy appears. And again, this is all, this is in broad daylight. A lot of the stuff happens in daylight, which is also a little different for a horror movie. Right. And Sandy walks in his front door and is like, hey, man, why you got a gun? <laughs> Are you all right? Right. Yes. And this is another really unexpected thing. A, a shotgun shell rolls off of the table onto the floor and she leans down. She kneels down to pick it up. And when she comes back up into our view from behind the table, she is a giant fat rubber monster. Yep. A very silly looking one. She looks like one of the Slovene from Doctor Who. So it was really like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. crossed with like the killer clowns from Outer Space. I don't mention that movie to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. But that's the look. like, And it's very... It's also very kind of Evil Dead too. Yes. But before very campy. it... Love it. But I... And I love it. Like... Can we just talk about her purple dress, though? Like, the fact that Sandy shows up and she just then, she's like, I have a 6.30 shoot tomorrow, the night before, when she's been on the phone with Harold. Like, clearly she's not coming. That's made very clear on the phone call the night before, right? Like, she's like, I am worried about him as well. However, I have a 6.30 a.m. shoot, right? So the fact that she didn't show up, 
she's wearing this purple dress. I show up as an air quotes. So that's super helpful doing visual gags when it's audio. Yep, I understand that. But she's wearing this purple dress with these, um, like an award show type thing. So then the monster starts wearing it too. And then her hair and her makeup are like the exact same thing. And it's just phenomenal the way that it was transpired from Sandy to this big rubber monster creature thing. And it was just amazing. But then what Roger starts shooting at it, right? Well, and that's another... Again, like I said, what's one thing I do like about this movie is how surprising and unpredictable it is. You would never, it's not set up in any sort of way or given no. away when you are not expecting when she kneels down to get this, pick up this shotgun shell that when she comes back up, she's going to be a monster. You have no reason to no. believe that. And when it happens, you're like, what the fuck? It's so right. sudden yeah. and surprising. But yeah, yeah, he opens fire on this monster and kills it and flies out onto the front porch except when he goes to look it's just regular sandy again so he has now shot his ex-wife on his property twice and he is very sad about it but his next move is to then hide the body and so i have questions about this man (laughs) i also like i cannot get over that right so it's a, it's a horror comedy, and he shot her with a shotgun. There are no, there's no entrails. There's no, like, getting a shotgun wound to the stomach is pretty gruesome. And yes, it's a movie, but there's, like, no, nothing. So when he picks her up, Sandy, off of the front porch, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. There would have been blood everywhere, right? And then he hides her in the closet because he hears police sirens that are coming because meanwhile our good friend Harold next door says my he calls the police and says my neighbor is suicidal and he's been shooting him you know I think he attempted suicide with his shotgun so the police are starting to you know arrive at the at the house he is acting like the calmest person on the planet after he shoves her body in this Harry Potter cover under the stairs, right? Like nothing is, it's like, what in the serial killer is happening? Like it is like this like craziest, he's so calm, like, hey guys. And then he goes and sits on the porch, like cleaning his gun, like, hey, what's going on? Like what happened? I don't, I don't know what's going on. Did some, what, someone heard a shot? Like, I don't know what's going on. It, yeah, it makes me instantly question like, oh, he's not a good guy at all. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely not. And I know no. that in his in his mind, he thinks, oh, there was never a monster there. I just, because of my own whatever, I just imagined she was a monster. And I just killed my ex-wife. But you're still, your first instinct shouldn't be <laughs> to cover it up. No, she called the police. Especially since this is a supposedly a famous actress. If she's not wherever she's supposed to be 45 minutes from now, somebody's coming in looking. Like, this isn't going to hold up. And no one that does ever show up looking for her? Well, I guess there's an explanation for that, because it'll turn out this wasn't her at all. Right. And that's, again, not knowing what is just his sort of dementia and what's actually happening, because... Right. It turns out Sandy's alive and well, (laughs) we'll discover. Right. So, who knows what's going on. But the fact that he doesn't even question that, and he actually believes that it was Sandy, like, we have to question his sanity. And, I mean, like you said earlier, it could be PTSD. He could be having all of these, you know, because of Jimmy being missing. And I don't know if you noticed this, but every time at night, he would go to the bathroom when he was getting ready for bed. He would see his little Valium bottle, and he would not take his medication. That's true. So, like, he had his medication, but he was not taking it. So, I don't, I mean... Granted, Valium, it's not really an antidepressant, but in the 80s it was. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, too. So maybe he's losing his mind in the house, and the house is... So, I don't know. That could be... He's he's definitely not taking his medication, and he thinks he shot his ex-wife, and he literally just threw her body under the stairs. And nothing. Yeah, and the cops show up, one of whom is 
Stephen Williams, uh, the black guy, he played Creighton Duke on Jason Goes to Hell. He was Mr. X on the X-Files and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, I was like seeing him in, in things. Mm-hmm. And the cops start asking him questions. Yeah, he's trying to pass it off. Like, oh, I was just cleaning my shotgun and went off. Sorry, I didn't mean to worry anybody. And the cop... That was loaded. The cop, yep. the cop is like, hey, I got to ask you something. And he's expecting the cop to be like... You're Roger Cobb, right? Will you sign my kid's book for me or something? And he's he's like he's getting ready to, you know, he's prepared for that. And the cops like, can I can I use your bathroom? <laughs> That's all he wanted. He doesn't know who this guy is. It doesn't give a shit. Right. So, oh, before he even asks him for his bathroom, they were going to give him a citation for firing a weapon off in city limits. And then they're like, oh, you're you're Roger Car- Cobb, aren't you? Because of, you know they knew him because of his son or whatever. And then as soon as he, oh, you're that author. He stopped writing him the citation because he's the author. But I just had to point that out because celebrity will get you out of anything. Yeah, it's some real, real white privilege happening. Yep. So anyways, puts him, then he asks about the bathroom, and then they go in the house. So now he has two cops sitting in his house with Harold. Well, Harold, yeah, Harold was trying to, like, horn in on this. The cop's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm the neighbor. I'm the one who called 911. And he's like, okay, cool, beat it. You have nothing, no reason to be here. Yeah, yeah, nope, you don't need to be here right now. But they're sitting in the house, and the cop is kind of not really being snoopy, but, of course, he's super paranoid about it. So even just as the cops go down the hall, he's very, he's making himself look more suspicious by being like, oh, no, not that room. The bathroom's over there, which should set off alarm bells but it doesn't what are you doing why are you over here the bathroom's over there silly haven't you been in here before i don't understand so the cops leave oh this is important we forgot to mention during the whole swordfish incident there were also a bunch of tools from the shed that were flying around the house ghostly like that he had Mm -hmm. that were like garden shears and a scythe and like just sharp implements that were kind of chasing him around the house and he locked in a, he tricked into flying into a room and locked them in there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then he'd also dropped two shells underneath the kitchen table, and they had panned to underneath that and held that shot for quite a while. So when he was trying to get the gun loaded to shoot the swordfish, so when the cop and Harold are sitting at the coffee table or at the table and they're all having coffee, Harold was like, oh, get it because roger had dropped the spoon and then he saw the shotgun shells and then the officer was said something to the effect of oh you didn't know it was loaded so they have that back and forth conversation about that and then the police officer comes out of the bathroom and then that conversation was dropped and then they all leave and then the garden shears and the other gardening tools come into effect oh it's after that okay because uh, that night sandy monster shows up again and she has the shotgun now. <laughs> She's got. Right. She clunks him in the head while he's waiting at the. And he's at this point. You have a body downstairs, in the little it Harry Potter closet. Yeah. After that, the police left, he had opened up the closet, and the body was missing, and then he couldn't find his gun. Oh, so he was yes. like, "Where? Where's? You know, didn't know where the Sandy monster was. Didn't know where the gun was. Didn't have anything. So he was kind of freaking out. But at and this point. I know that you're worried about the monster in the closet upstairs, but the body of your dead ex-wife just vanished from the closet downstairs, and that should maybe be your concern, is figuring out where that went. I don't know. (laughs) The other thing can maybe wait. But he's upstairs, again, preparing to sort of deal with this closet monster, and the Sandy monster comes in behind him in, in the room, hits him in the back of the head with the butt of this shotgun and then when he's down on the ground has the gun to his head and is gonna kill him and she has a crazy Alvin in the Chipmunks voice I thought of the Chipettes too I think that I is not that scary at all it's very very silly yes and goes to shoot him but yeah like the shotgun shells that were on the floor are not in the gun so the gun doesn't go off he kind of gets away from her and is running away there's a bit of a chase going on and he opens the door that he had locked the, all those flying tools behind, and they fly out and kill the Sandy Monster again. <laughs> just The garden she just take her head right off. Yes. So he feels super successful at this point, right? <laughs> so he, like, bags her head, and he, like, takes it up, and he spins it around, and then he goes and buries it in the backyard. And he's like, this is amazing. This is awesome. 
And then the next day, you can assume, right? He like pulls the body down and it's a Linda Rodstan song that's playing. And so he's pulling the body down the stairs in broad daylight, mind you. And he's going to bury this sandy monster body in the backyard. And he's like going to dig a thing, you know, whatever. And then the hot running neighbor from next door from across the street is swimming in his freaking backyard pool. What? Yeah, people are just helping themselves to this man's house constantly. Yeah, what? it's you're no good. Yeah, Linda Ron said it. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And the needle drop is so, on one hand, it's a very appropriate song, but it also yeah. feels very silly at the same time. Yeah, the whole, right yeah. right after the, mon- the Sandy Monster is killed and he's starting to beg her up over that whole kind of moment yeah. the song is playing. And it's just such an odd decision to have, like instead of a score, to have this song come in. Yeah. But yeah, so he's gathered up. He's chopped her up. He's got all the parts in separate bags. He's got a bunch of holes in the backyard. All he has left is kind of the biggest bundle. And yeah, this neighbor lady is just just helped herself to his pool. Didn't ask. She's just in there swimming. She had to open a gate to get in there, so it's not like it's yep. easy to access. Like, yep. what is going on? I guess yep, when when you're hot, yeah, you just do what you want. Comes out. Right. So she comes out and she says something about, oh, your aunt used to let me swim all the time. And I hope that's okay with you. Well, this is before the Sandy, before he chopped up the Sandy monster, because it starts to like attack his foot and then he's got to stop it. And then it was going to attack her and then he stopped it. And then she says something to the effect of, oh, I love a, a man who works hard. Do you like to play too? And so she's making all of these innuendos about them going out and, you know, doing all these date things or whatever. So then, you know, she leaves and clearly Roger is attracted to her, right? And so, you know, the Sandy Monster's hand is trying to like get him and he like attacks it, chops it up, whatever. Then he buries it all over and he's super excited about it, even though it looks like a woodchuck has gone through the yard. So... Later that night, Tanya, the neighbor. Well, and I think if you're expecting in your mind that at some... He should be thinking that at some point someone's going to come looking for Sandy and it's going to be pretty weird that I have all these fresh holes in my backyard. I hope they don't know this. His plan isn't very good. No, it's not. It's not a good plan at all. But this is maybe my favorite surprise Un- unpredictable part yeah tanya was coming on to him sort of or at least it seems like it um, oh totally absolutely she shows totally up at his door it. that night and she's dressed to the nines look her hair's all done up looking good she's not there to ask him out though she's there to drop off her kid this woman what are you doing to drop yeah. off her oh, yeah. son rock Oh, can you play with my son Robert while I go on a date with yeah. somebody else? I'm going to go on a date with some other dude. Can you babysit my son? We've met twice. We've spoken for maybe three minutes. Yes. Please <laughs> just here, have my kid. I'm so yes. desperate for a babysitter. Yep. Also, give him a bath later. No, thank you. No. Yeah, nope. watch my kid. Give him a bath. Here's all his stuff. <laughs> Take his toys. Okay, bye. See you later. But I, but I, nope. but I really like it. It's a great kind of twist. It's a great play on your expectations because yeah. you're not expecting her to show up with his kid and dump her, nope. dump him on uh, no. Roger. No. But it also, it's kind of like it's it's a there's this whole set piece with the kid because the kid, well, the dog has dug up the Sandy Monster's hand and ran off with it right before Tanya showed up. Yeah. And then. He was going to go chase it down, but he couldn't find his car keys or whatever. And it's when he comes back in to get his car keys that she rings the doorbell. Oh, correct. But the hand is now on the little kid's back and she doesn't see it, but he does. So he's, and the kid runs off down the hallway. So he's chasing the kid. She's trying to chase them down. And he's like, no, you stay there. I'll get him, which red flag. No, that's my kid. I'll get him. Thanks. I know we're in your house, but, and takes this kid into the bathroom. Look, man. Nope. I know you're you're making some bad parenting decisions already, just dropping this kid off with this veritable yep. stranger. But 
he was just alone in a bathroom with your child, there should be follow-up questions. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> like, what Absolutely. the fuck? Absolutely. He doesn't drive a creepy white van, but still, like, there's no reason to be alone in a bathroom with him, even though he is flushing a Sandy Monster hand. Like which, that is which not... I mean, should not fit down this toilet, but that's a whole I other. <laughs> but yeah, he pulled, and while he's pulling the hand off the back of this kid's neck, this kid is crying for real. I don't know what they did to this kid, but he's not having no. it. Like it's not no. acting. This, this kid is having a bad time on set. <laughs> they yeah. just filmed it, no problem. Yep, absolutely. And then she gave him all the toys, and then she left. Just leaves him there. And... Oh, so getting along so well. I'll be back later. He's trying to get some writing done, but the kid's crying that he wants his mom. And this kid is really crying that he wants his mom. So that's, it's yeah, fucked up that they could do that. Andy's TV show, and they're talking about him resort, is what it's called, by the way. Um, because I think um, Harold has been watching it. But the topic of conversation was clearly not appropriate for Robert, who was no. the kid. And I think he might be two or three, and he clearly doesn't understand what's going on. But like, he should be watching, I don't Sesame Street or not Blues Clues, but something along those lines, right? But he should not be watching them talking about what they should. Of he's talking male prostitution and how she's really sorry and what because I'm a male prostitute and blah blah blah. They're just not, a, and then he started crying probably because of the topic of conversation. <laughs> <Right>. and... <sighs> but he gets this, yeah. he gets this kid to kind of sack out on the couch and thinks he's going to get some writing done. And then he looks up, and the kid's gone, so he's searching the house for him. And the kid has been grabbed by two more crazy Muppets, like <laughs> these ch ch like child monsters. There's a girl one and a boy yeah. one, and they have crazy puppet faces. Mm -hmm. And they look goofy too, and they're trying to drag the kid up the chimney, and so he's hanging off, like the kid's getting pulled like a, I don't know, like tug of war between them. He's trying to pull him down, pull and... him back down, and the monster kids are trying to pull him up. But it's so random. Like we never see these monster kids again. We hadn't seen them before. Nope. Where where did they come from? What is the deal with this house? Is he crazy? Is the house haunted? Is there actually a portal to some other place? What is the goal of the things in the house to don't know we'll never know no everything no, is very random yes yes it is yep and so they're covered with chimney dust so he just gives this stranger child a bath yep and part of it is i mean you could see that yeah they are getting along they're having some fun like throwing the sponge at each other and obviously he misses his own son yep. and this is you know so i get that but there was still like <sighs> I know this guy doesn't have a lot of sense at the moment, but you gotta, come on, man, it's common. Don't, you're, you should not be giving this child a bath. No, there's no sense of stranger danger, right? Like, he doesn't no. know this, but he doesn't, nope. And I somehow didn't notice it in any of the other scenes, but after the bath and Tanya comes back to pick him up, when he brings this kid, the haircut on this kid is miraculous. It's a bowl cut in the front a mullet in the back and then like uh -huh. spiked up on top it's three uh -huh. different hairstyles crammed onto this kid's head and it's wild uh -huh. to look at yep <laughs> only super, in the 80s man super 80s yep i think my brother had that haircut it's great so tanya picks the boy up and everything turned out okay with that i guess but it's this whole kind of set piece there's probably like 15 minutes of the movie that doesn't because we never see tanya again we never see nope. this kid again it kind of doesn't need to be here at all it's kind of nope. It's a fun little set piece or whatever, but it doesn't add... If you took it out, it would not change the movie no. whatsoever. No. I mean, the only thing it would show maybe is uh, Roger's relationship to his son, but at the same time, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, he's too busy chasing the kid around with these monsters to, you know, we're not really seeing them bond per se, so... No. An attempt was made, but I don't know that it was very successful. No. Roger now enlists neighbor Harold to help him with the closet monster like hey i think like a raccoon got in there and it got in through the roof so we're gonna have this spear gun attach to the fishing line and i'm gonna open the door at midnight don't worry about why and when you see the raccoon you're gonna shoot it with the spear gun and that way if it tries to go back up we'll have it you know attached right. so it can't get away but it was right between the eyes right we got it right between the eyes yeah which it, it will then run away i guess right 
and to Harold's credit, he's not really buying it. He's like, all right, I'm going to, you can see on his face, he's like, all right, I'm going to play along with whatever this is, but I know there's no raccoon in here. Like, <laughs> but I need to right. help this guy before he does blow his own head off because he's yeah. not okay right now. And he gives him his goggles to wear and he goes to open the door and lo and behold, the closet monster's back. And yep. now we know for sure it's not all just in Roger's head because Harold sees it too. He, he starts screaming like, <laughs> as you right. should when a closet monster emerges. Right. And so he shoots it with the spear gun and it goes back into the, because the closet, normally when you open it, it's just a closet with a back wall and hangers. But when the monster's there, it's just a black void that's n never ending. And it sl slithers back into that and is pulling the fishing line, which of course gets wrapped around Roger's leg and drags him into the closet. Harold makes a pretty half-assed attempt to stop yep, him from back. being pulled, but it's yep. to no avail. And Roger is pulled into Vietnam. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like, that's where this void leads, or at least in his own head. Who knows what's going on? Again, it's a very strange and confusing film. But now we get... So now he's sort of living in his own flashback, because his last moments with Big Ben were that yep. Big Ben was injured... And he was telling him, like, no, kill me so the Viet Cong don't capture me and torture me and, like, just kill me. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to go get help. And he needs to get help. And as soon, yep. the second he walks away, the Viet Cong swarm out of the jungle and grab Big Ben yep. and drag him off. And he's cursing him with his last breaths, you know. I'll get you for this. You should have just killed me. Yep. So that's the sort of where all of his trauma and PTSD has come from. It's kind of this incident that he... Mm -hmm let this guy down i guess by not killing him yep so he goes to the medicine cabinet he's finally maybe going to take his valium except where the medicine cabinet well he opens the door and where there should be it's a really cool shot actually because he opens it and there's just the medicine in the medicine cabinet and he closes it and turns around for a second and when he turns back around and opens it again and i'm not it wasn't there's no cut so i'm not quite sure how they did it maybe the set behind it moved or something but and now there's just a black void instead of the shelves of medicine there. And a tentacle comes out of it, like an octopus tentacle. Green is grabbing him, and then other well, hands are grabbing well, him. Well, to get to that part, he had gone out to... George had been drinking, right? So he comes through the closet. Back oh, yes. In. George had been drinking the entire time. So he goes and puts George to bed. And then he goes and to the or to his aunt's. The, sh the workshop or whatever and then he sees that painting that his aunt had been working at on with the closet or whatever and then he sees that oil cloth that had been over there and then he sees that Jimmy was trapped in the in the in the medicine cabinet so then therefore he goes and breaks the mirror yes. open and then that's when the tentacles come through but it's still a really cool shot yeah he does yeah you're right he throws something through the mirror and when it breaks there's just there's nothing back there and it's, it's very cool because then he goes and he opens the window in the bathroom and looks out at the side of the house to be like no there's a there's a wall there like there shouldn't be yep. this empty space and goes yep. back into the bathroom and then the tentacles and arms come out and start grabbing him he sort of fights them off and then decides because yeah he has it in his head now that jimmy was not kidnapped he has been captured by the house for Somehow. what reason who knows how right can't tell you and the movie won't either so don't even try nope but he lowers himself down into this endless black void that's inside of his medicine cabinet and another real evil dead looking it's like a skull bat it's like a it's like it's got arms and legs but it's got bat wings and a skull head and it's trying to knock him off his rope and he's trying to shoot him with a shotgun it comes and grabs his shotgun it takes it from him mm -hmm. and shoots <laughs> shoots his rope so it breaks. He falls forever, lands in water, and he's back in Vietnam again, where his son, little Jimmy, is in a tiger cage. He's been yeah. captured by the Vietnamese, Vietnamese, and I guess he's just been here for the last however long. It's a year. Who knows how long it's been since this kid. Yeah. This kid's not nearly traumatized enough, because when they get out of this, oh. he's smiling and happy. Like, this kid should be... He's been captured in an other Vietnam dimension for the last year. He should yeah. be in bad shape. Mm -hmm. But so he rescues them. They swim back out of this water. And now they're 
in the swimming pool. So the swimming pool really was some crazy portal that the kid disappeared right. into. So he was right the whole time. And everything seems like it's going to be okay. And he goes to the front door to leave, and giant zombie Big Ben is there. There's now a zombified American GI, <laughs> an enormous Which one. Incredible. Which is a good, I mean, it's a kind of a goofy look. It's kind of cool looking, but also kind of a goofy rubber suit that, you know, I don't know, yeah. I'm of two minds on it. But again, you weren't expecting that. No, absolutely not. You thought the movie was over. He saved the kid. A little anticlimactic, okay. But no, now there's a giant uh, U.S. Army or Marines or whatever zombie. Right. And there's a whole, there's a bunch of chasing around the house, chasing up on the roof, back into the house. A whole lot of, kind of a whole chase set piece with that. And them fighting each other. At one point, he rips Ben's, zombie Ben's arm off and beats him with it, which is always, I mean, you've always heard the, you know, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you to death with it, and he tries. Mm -hmm. But he just grabs it back and just reattaches it like nothing happened. And then there's this cool, a literal cliffhanger effect where he opens a door to get away, and what should be a room in the house is like a cliffside overlooking the ocean that he falls out of. And it between like a matte painting and green screen, it actually looks really cool. The effect of when they show the shot back up the cliff at the house, it looks really cool. Yeah. So he's hanging. Big zombie Ben is stomping on his fingers, going to make him fall. But the ex sort of, Big Ben says like, kind of explains it like, this is why all of this is happening. I took your kid. Right. I'm the zombie ghost of your Vietnam pal and I waited a decade to somehow come to your aunt's house and steal your kit. Like, I don't... Right. Explain it to me because I don't get it. I remember Aunt Elizabeth said that the house knows everything about you. So maybe the house took his worst fears about him. But if he was an adult, why would Big Ben come back? That doesn't make... That part doesn't make any sense to me, but... I mean, it is kind of his worst regret or whatever i guess but yeah maybe zombie big ben's lying about being behind all this probably who knows but he so he's hanging there big ben's trying to crush his fingers he manages to pull his belt off and whip it up and pull this enormous man who i believe was the stunt man in the side of that suit was probably kane hodder who is a big man yep but yanks him off the cliff, and we get a cool shot of a dummy let crashing on the rocks below, which looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. And he, so he climbs back up. He grabs Jimmy again. They're going to leave, and Big Ben is there again, and he's got Jimmy. He grabs him, and he's going to slit this kid's throat, and Roger goes to stop him, and Big Ben sort of cuts, well, slashes out and cuts Roger's hand off, but he immediately when he looks, his hand is fine. So he realizes that, like, oh, none of this is real. And you can't right. hurt me. You can't hurt my kid. Because this is all phantasmagorical. Right. None of this is physically, you know, right. real. So you can't hurt me. So I'm just going to take my kid back now. And yep. except I'm going to grab a grenade off of your belt and shove it in you. And it's going to blow you up. Okay, fine. Yeah. Fine. Except that when he does that, it actually... Sets the room on fire for real. How? Is it real or is it not real? Is it a real grenade or not? Because if it's not, the room should not be on fire. I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand. But, so now they are now leaving this, the house that is presumably about to burn down. Right. We don't see it burn down, but I mean, an entire room is engulfed in flames because a grenade went off and he's not doing any, making any any effort to stop it or call the fire department. No. He and Jimmy walk out the front door, and Sandy, who is alive and well, has pulled up, who has finally actually arrived from getting the call right. from Harold. So she didn't skip her, in whatever, whatever she had to do at all. Right. She was not murdered. No, she was not murdered at all. No. But he still, he thought he did. He thought he oh, killed his wife no. and hid her body. He's her not body. a good dude. <laughs> No, nope. And it's, yeah, freeze frame on his big old smile of like, oh, now my family's back together and I saved the day. And kind of none of this mattered at all. No. (laughs) 
it's very odd yeah i had a very um is it michael mckee michael keen at the end of clue when he's like i'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife yes one of the best last final lines of the movie ever yes um i, I had that very strong feeling um that was also 1985 but it was yeah a very odd ending for an odd movie an odd movie yeah i don't know that it balances the campiness and what's supposed to be horror so it kind of all just becomes campy which i have you know my tolerance level for that depends a lot of times but right i don't know but there's still there was enough like i said there was enough surprising and unexpected things right you never knew what was going to happen next and whatever it was going to be was going to be crazy that it is enjoyable to watch i don't think it's it's a great movie but it's it's fun yeah it was i mean i i wasn't as taken back by it as some other films i have watched um i mean i didn't take nearly as many critical notes so i feel like that's a good thing but i mean the campiness won out in my i love a good camp film so i'm like oh okay i can watch this so well then you might be pleased to know that there is a house two a house three and a house four yeah i did see that after i i read this i was like "Ooh, what what other you know but it's a real as far as franchises go it is held together by spit and bailing wire because house two is a different different character completely comes to this house the neighbor is not george went but it's john ratzenberger who's also from cheers so i don't know what they were going for but and it's a whole there's a, some mystery about an aztec skull that's in the house or something who but it's a whole other thing and there's a cute little weird alien dog it's wild also okay. very strange movie then there is house three which in this country wasn't even released under that title it was released under the title i think american horror show or just the horror show because it has nothing to do with the house at all but it was called house three kind of like halloween three has nothing to do with michael myers it's about masks and weird shit yep and then there's halloween or halloween there's house four william cat returns for briefly playing roger cobb again but with a different wife and child and he is killed in a car accident immediately at the beginning of the movie and the wife and child inherit the house from him so i don't know very strange franchise or attempt at one anyway hmm. i've never seen any of the other ones well i hadn't seen this either actually until now so yeah this was an interesting one i will probably watch house two at least and i'm kind of curious because i just read that stuff i'm kind of curious about house four now as well yeah like how do you that sounds strange it doesn't... but anyway that's house from 1986 i've kind of i kind of waited my whole life to watch that movie and now that i have eh. <laughs> all right i don't know if it was worth all the the hype I in my did, child brain i uh, did see an interesting tidbit about it that it was uh opened up against pretty in pink and that it grossed back it was number two against pretty in pink um which i think is super crazy because i mean right, right. and it grossed for 5.9 million barely barely missing pretty in pink that same weekend when it opened so it actually made money which is crazy which, well, so no wonder it got it some sequels yeah makes yep. sense now yep all right, it is the time in the episode where I press the magic button to find out what next week's movie, chosen completely at random from everything streaming, will be. Pressing the magic button now. <clears throat> next week's movie is... The Scare Rapist? That doesn't sound... What? Oh. <laughs> Pardon me. Not The Scare Rapist. The Scarapist. As in, a scary therapist? <laughs> I read that wrong, and I apologize. <laughs> oh, boy. That is a terrible title for a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've lost Lindsay. Oh, my gosh. You should get Mr. Fumke to help you with that one. Right. I feel like bias would be good. <laughs> oh, boy. 
So the Scarapest from 2015. It is on Amazon Prime. It is. I don't think it's a horror. It says crime and horror. Probably more crime. An insane therapist entangles a suburban novelist in a web of hyp hypnosis, drugs, kidnapping, depravity, and murder. Well, still has a terrible title. That is an unbelievably bad title for a movie. The Scarapist. Wow. All right. That's everybody's homework. Where can people find you, ma'am, if you should wish to be found? Yeah, The Ginger's Wife. Instagram. Um, That's it. Twitter. TikTok. Ooh, TikTok. Fancy. I know. I'm catching up with the cool kids currently. I don't think I've ever had a guest mention their TikTok before. You might be the first. Oh, yeah. That's me. Way to be. I am, as always, at Heath Lambert 78 on Twitter. The show is That's So Random P2. The show has an email address, That's So Random Pod at gmail.com, for sharing your thoughts with me in long written form. <laughs> I don't know why you would do that, but you can if you want. Artwork for the show by Joe Humphrey, who is at Mr. Joe Humphrey on Twitter. Go check out his other stuff. I think that's it. Thanks, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Until next week, everybody, goodbye. Bye.